the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffle Podcast, Episode 112. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hi. Good morning. How are you? I'm amazing. I love when I ask you how you are and you're just amazing and you're great. And isn't that wonderful? And so life and just, yeah, it is. I, uh, had a very full and fulfilling and weekend, uh, lots of fun things we did and lots of rest. I slept a whole lot and yeah, I just, I love, I love going to bed on a Sunday night getting an amazing night's sleep, and then just wake up ready for the week (laughs) instead of full of dread or any other thing I could be feeling right now, especially if I was still drinking. Well, Sundays I used to dread as well. Now they're my favorite days of the week. And I was in bed before it even got dark out last night. And I was asleep by nine for sure. I know. So I am with you on that good night's sleep and feeling like I'm so always so excited to talk to you on Mondays because we record these on you know, different days of the week, but today it's a Monday and I was excited to talk to you. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about your weekend. I know you had fun stuff going on and I want to hear. We had a great weekend. Um, let's see. Uh, I guess the biggest thing that we did this week. So my son, my son was always an improv and a theater kid. Um, but then he kind of transitioned. So he made a big, he, like many of us do, made a big change and decided to pursue uh, cinematic arts, which is like more of uh, kind of behind the camera work. So writing scripts and screenplays, using, learning how to use camera equipment, making films, editing films, all that stuff. And he's just uh, finishing up his sophomore year. Um, And he made one movie uh, and he wrote the screenplay. He casted it himself. He, he um, shot it himself. You know, he had some production help and then he, edited the movie and I never saw any of this. Like this was all just him doing his work. Um, and then I found out, so there was a banquet. So the, um, the cinematic arts program had a banquet for all the parents to come and it was a potluck and I made a bunch of, I was responsible for making some vegan things and, um, that was fun. But I had no idea what to expect. I, he had kind of brief, you know how teenagers are. He sort of briefly mentioned, yeah, we're going to get to see the movie. There's going to be some awards. I don't really, you know, know anything else about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> They're very brief with what they let you know. Very, if, if they let you know anything at all. Yeah. It was very vague. Uh, I had no idea what to expect. Um, I knew I was going to get to see his movie though. And I was very excited because I hadn't seen it. And, uh, so what, how it ended up 
how the presentation was, there was a probably, they had divided um, all of these movies into about um, eight categories, I guess. Um, and the categories were all, all varied, but not all the kids' movies were shown or, you know, up for an award. But my mm-hmm. son won in his category, he won the best film and best screenplay. What was the name of his film? It was called, it's called Island of Concrete. And it, you know, all the movies were about, you know, under five minutes, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, But his, I was blown away. And I will say this not just because he's my kid, but I mean, of course I'm going to say that because he's my kid, but (laughs) he, he, um, you know, you hope that what you are artistically and sort of creatively good at will somehow be passed on to your child. Mm-hmm. Um, and being a photographer for, you know, 20 years, um, I feel like I am uh, creatively strong with like image um, comprehend, uh, composition and, and rendering and all that stuff. Um, uh, I think, and I feel like I have a good eye, you know, I guess that's the, the terminology a lot of people use. Um, I didn't know if Max shared this thing with me, mm-hmm. uh, until I saw his movie and it was so cleverly shot I was like how did you like I I had to go back with him when we got home almost frame by frame I was like how did you know to stand here and shoot it that way and like I was it was so yeah. fun to like ask him all these questions and kind of dig into his process and how he made the choices he made now of course his answer was I don't know that's just the way I did it <laughs> just, I was just born that way <laughs> that's just the way I did it like he couldn't really articulate why he made the choices that he made and which is fine. You know, that'll come mm-hmm. eventually. Yeah. I think. But, but it was, then it was innate. Yeah. Maybe. It was just so cool. I, I mean, I felt like, Oh, like, you know, is this something that I, is this something in our DNA that we share? I passed on to him. I just don't know, but it was really it. cool. It was so cool. It was cool beyond just, you know, being a, having a proud mom moment. Um, it was just really cool to get to see, uh, yeah, get to see him express himself creatively. And like I said, I've seen him on stages a whole lot, but this was a new, this was a new thing for him. This is a new, um, medium for him. Oh, I want to see it. I want to tell So it was really fun. It was super fun. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to tell Grady. Yeah. Grady, if if there's a link to it or something, I would love to, to share it with him. Yeah, yeah, I will. Yeah, that's another getting that. Right. Be, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, <laughs> be the well, next whenever, thing. <laughs> whenever. I understand that as well. Well, it looked like you guys had like a little red carpet thing going on. It was I adorable. Oh, it was, I love it. Oh, it was decorated. Like the parents, like really just yeah it made it very special and that was the cafeteria at the high school <laughs> so they made it super it. special and cute what a proud mom moment yeah it was very fun and I love that you did, hadn't seen it before yeah no <laughs> yeah that's like when Grady was doing his little movie with his friend I was like I shouldn't say little movie it's a short film it's six minutes so it is a short movie is what I mean but you know like the day before he's like oh yeah and I'm starring in it and I'm like okay <laughs> 
what? <laughs> so he, he, they just got, um, I guess they won best film for the Santa Monica Film Festival for the teen category. Oh my God, that's amazing. And so they're going down to Southern California. He asked if he could go down to Southern California. That's the only reason I know is because he has to travel and um, asked if he could go down and go with the, the person, the director um, and receive the award in June when he's out of school. And I said, I feel like that would be a fun trip. I think you, you should do that, you know, for sure. So, oh, I love that our boys are doing these things. Yeah, it's really, really, it's so cool. It's so, um, it's really cool, you know, to, uh, to sh- it's cool to watch your kid get into something um, creative. It's really, really awesome, you know, in, or, and, it, and, you know, maybe it, I'm talking to listeners now, you know, maybe your kids aren't into something creative. Maybe they're into some a sport or something like that, but it's just so cool to watch your kid get passionate about something. Absolutely. And, and for this, the selfish thing for me is that I get to be kind of fully present and enjoyed in a way that I never got to before. I can also step back, like not, not knowing what he was doing and just trusting that they were making something like Friday. Grady was like, can I stay after school? We're making a music video. And I was like, you can, I haven't told him this, but he can do anything he wants as long as he's hanging out with his kid, Chris, <laughs> and they're making things like, I'm sure. Okay. I'll, I'll bend and drive and do whatever to make it happen because it's, I want to support him in the way that I can by giving him that freedom. Well, I, you know, it's nurturing it, right? Yeah, for sure. Which I don't, uh, don't think I would be nurturing the things that my kids want to do um, as well, if at all, if yeah. I was still drinking. I, yes, yeah. I'm with you on that. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, good. What about you? How was your weekend? Um, <laughs> it was good. I I, I want to share about this in another episode, um, you and I, but just I uh, the ending of school has been like this closure of things for me. And it's like I hit a wall, Sandra, and I just was a sloth for a couple of days. <laughs> Good. I just needed some sloth time. Lay on the couch and do nothing. But yesterday I got to go up. I was um, invited to go up to Ratna Ling to visit with Sasha Corrales and Natalie Fairbrook um, at the end of a retreat uh, at the Buddhist retreat retreat center. And so we, uh, I did yoga and had brunch with some ladies. And then we just went to their cabin and just kind of brainstorm creative ideas, things we want to do together. Um, We took naps. Um, which we all laugh. I'm like, I'm like, I just, I think, I think we should take naps. It was raining. You'll nap together. Oh, wow. That's amazing. (laughs) Sasha went in her room and then I was like, Nally, let's go cuddle. Let's just go. So we talked for a little bit, but we all fell asleep. It was great. (laughs) And then came home. And uh, so my weekend was very relaxing and, and um, I'm gearing up for going to Portland with you. You know, so I'm super excited about that. And I know that I need to get a few things done because I have course launching. You have a new session of your mentoring launching. So let's maybe share about Portland, what little we know right now. What little we have (laughs) nailed down. So we just, as in like five minutes ago, just kind of closed our eyes and picked a restaurant. Um, We have a listener who sent us some ideas. So, you know, we're not trying to overthink this. We just picked one. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, just for people who are listening, it's, it's going to be on June 7th, 2019, in case you're listening to this at a later time. 
We're going to be in Portland, Oregon. It's going to be at uh, 5.30-ish, we decided. Mm-hmm. Show up. Um, and it's going to be at the Buy and Buy is the name of the restaurant. I was just going to look for that on my computer here again. Do I have it? Yes. And it looks like it's in, at, in, on Alberta Street in Portland. So buy and buy, B-Y-E and B-Y-E. Right. We don't know where that is in Portland <laughs> other than the street we just gave you. Yeah. Uh, but the menu looks great. It's like medium priced. There's yeah. some veggie options and there's a really, there's like some good mocktails, some good ginger beers and things yeah. like that. Yeah. And it looks like it's the, um, the Instagram handle is buy and buy Portland. So I'm following that right now. People can check it out. It looks like they have yummy food. Um, they do have a bar, just FYI, as most restaurants do, but they have non-alcoholic options that we felt would be great for our listeners. So whoever wants to come and meet up in Portland, uh, we'll be talking about that more in the Facebook um, page. So if you're not yes. part of that Facebook page, send Sandra or I a message on Facebook and ask to be included. Right. Because yeah, we'll post uh, all that info there and then we can all chat about it and make plans and all that kind of stuff. I know that's, um, it's a Friday and that's sort of getting off of work time, but you know, we'll be there for a couple of hours, I'm sure. So even if you can't make it for the whole time. Yeah. And we're early birds. So that's why we're starting early. (laughs) Yeah. We, you know, we like to eat with, with the The daylight. We like, to, <laughs> we like to eat when when yeah when it's daylight outside and yeah. I don't know. It'll mm-hmm. be fun. And we're yeah. going to Amanda Grace's workshop the next day. So we'll have to have an early night anyway and drive back to where we're at. And so it'll be great. So yeah. we're hoping that people can join us. Um Sandra, why don't do you want to share about your offering for June? I certainly will. So um, I've talked about it before, but I'm going to keep talking about it because you guys, I'm having so much fun. I'm, I, 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 it's one of those things. It's like, why did I wait so long to do this? And it was like, because I wasn't ready. And now I am. Mm -hmm. That's why Uh, I answered my own question. Um, So I am offering a I'm calling it a mentoring experience. Um, but I'm re- offering a chance to work with me in four week blocks. Um, the next session starts in June. Uh, if you can't start the first week of June, um, I'm starting, I can start, we work out our own schedule. So I can actually start um, whenever we decide to start. But it's in, but we work together in four week blocks. And I help you, I cheer you on, I coach you and guide you to bring something, um, some, some kind of creative project, creative baby, maybe something that you've researched and you've, you've done all the spreadsheets on and you've been ruminating over it for years now and you just need some help getting it to the starting line and beyond. Um, I can help you do that. And it's called change your story. And we talk about, we talk about all of those fears and, and overwhelming things and all that kind of stuff that holds us back, but it's not, we don't just stay on the theory of it. We actually get to work. (laughs) Yeah. And um, so all of that stuff is sort of interwoven in, but again, it's, it's, um, 
it's not, um, it's not an opportunity to just, uh, you know, kind of talk about the ethereal things. <laughs> we actually get to get it. To what, we get to it. We <laughs> what is the name it. of the program called? It's called change your story. And it's on my website, theinruffle.com. There's a pink bar at the top. If you click on that, you can get a copy, (laughs) sales copy there. Mm -hmm. And it's probably articulated a little bit better than I just, than I just did it. But I think it's because I'm so excited about it. Yeah, no, it's great. And I'm really excited that people can work with you. And then to see a project like, yeah, we can talk about it all we want. But what, what I think what, what you're really good at and what I'm really good at since we, since we're doing these things is we're really good at getting shit done. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like you're going to help somebody get some stuff done. Exactly. Yes. And, and the clients that I'm working with now, we are halfway through, um, as of, as of record, uh, while we're recording this, we're halfway through, um, when this airs, we'll be even farther along, but they will have the beginnings of, 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 of what we're working on. Um, they both want to, which involve websites for both of them. And we're, I'm not sitting there and we're not just building their website, but they have all, they have content written. They have a solid idea. They know who their audience is, all that work. Um, so it's very exciting. Good. Good. Yeah. What about Um, you? I have, so I, I shared this on Instagram, but I had a dream last week that I woke from, um, it was the final day of school. It was the night before, you know, I had this dream in the middle of the night. I, I was getting ready to go to school and, and I realized that the program that I was putting together called Shine, it wasn't right. It was off. Um, I had to tweak some things and all of it came to me in a dream. And it was like, what do you, what is your thing? Like, what do you do? What do you do that people ask you the most about? Mm-hmm. What people ask me the most about, and I get tons of DMs and email messages um, and they asked me about the exercises that I do that I call my proof of life exercises. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, Sandra, it just all started coming together. And I was like, why am I not teaching that? Right. It's like a no brainer. Right. Well, you know how people say, write what you know, teach yes. what you know as well. Totally. So I revamped it, restructured the time. I called the people who had registered for Shine, which were only a few. I don't think it was resonating with a lot of people because I wasn't really clear, other than one big project, how it was going to culminate, um, what we were going to do. And so here it is, just in a nutshell. I, um, it's going to be a four-week online creative workshop, um, and it's going to be available in June, July, and August. So on the first, uh, the first Saturday of the month in June, Uh, which is June 1st. That's when we're going to start for the June session. Same for July, same for August, for Saturday of the month. And there's going to be four weeks of classes. And um, since I've received all these DMs and people asking me about my creative process, the tools I use, um, I finally have the time and space to kind of dole out the information. um, And that's why I created it this way in the workshop. So what it'll include is I'm going to share my creative entry points for uh, my accountability projects. And I'm going to guide people into making their own. And so it's going to be, the first week will be the art of the selfie. And that is going to be not just taking a picture of yourself, but to examine the self through art. And that might be drawing, that might be collaging, that might be a lot of things. Um, um, It depends what you pick and what you decide. Um, The second week is going to be about rituals and routines. And I'm going to help and suggest, and the homework will be creating a a morning routine for seven days that week and see if people can try to um, 
make it their own, not do what I do necessarily, but I will share what I do. And uh, the third week is about analog practices because I'm a big fan of paper and journals and the written word. And I get so many questions about this logbook that I've been keeping since last summer mm-hmm. um, that I'm just going to, I'm no bullet journal expert. Um, that's not my jam either, but I have a way of documenting things that make me really happy. And I'm hoping people can, I can um, inspire them to find their own way too. And the last week's going to culminate in a ray of light artwork that the, there's going to be a writing assignment and people are going to make their own ray of light. And if you don't know what that is, it's on my website. I did a year long series of interviewing women and making mixed media for it. So that's going to be the four weeks. It feels like stuff that I already know how to do really well. And that I think yeah, I help right. people learn how to do. These are so, things that you do. And you know, it, it's so, I, I'm learning this as I'm going through with my clients too. It's like, um, when you get caught up in things that you do, you almost assume that everybody does them. And I'm like, no, this is enlightening to, to other people. Yeah. Yeah. Just share to have the creative confidence to share that. And so I need to kind of walk the walk here. And I do feel like I can teach this because it is what I do. And, um, there's a saying in the rooms, like if you see, you, um, you see somebody in the room that, um, has what you want, and I thought, you know, I have what some people want mm-hmm. and I, I kind of, I share a little bit, you know, through my gratitude book that I made, but I was like, there's way more that I do. And if that sounds like good fun to you, you can sign up on my website, tammysolace.com. There's a link in my Instagram bio to it. Um, yeah. And so it's uh, $222 for the four weeks, roughly a 50 ish, uh, a call because we'll be doing zoom calls or 90 minutes and yeah, you can learn more there. So, uh, but that starts on June 1st. So hop to it if you're interested. Cause I think when this airs, it'll be May 27th. Awesome. All right. So, uh, we should introduce our guests. Yes. Let's yeah. talk about who we have on the podcast today. Cause <laughs> this conversation was so fun. I loved it. Talk to our friend, Jill Henning. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about Jill. She is a mom, a wife, and a marketing consultant, and she lives in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, she is also an adult child of an alcoholic, or some people call those um, ACOAs. There's books mm-hmm. and meetings for ACOAs. Um, she was married to an alcoholic, but she ended up finding her sanity in Al-Anon. And after attending hundreds of Al-Anon meetings and working the 12 steps, she realized that she too needed to put a cork in her drinking. Um, And uh, Jill also loves silent discos, particularly, (laughs) particularly 90s rap music. Uh Yeah. She has a talent that we'll talk about in the, in the, in the episode. Yes. She loves pearls and all things stylish, uh, and thrifting and interior design. And, um, I know you're going to love hearing all about Jill. Yeah, she's great. She, she, she calls herself a creative catalyst and she owns forward street marketing. And her website is forwardstmarketing.com. You can find her on Instagram at forwardstreet. And she is just lovely. And I look forward to us kind of rendezvousing in real life again because she was just such a pleasure to uh, hang out with it. She recovers. And then also when I got to have lunch with her and just um, 
you know, just get more of her wisdom and her beauty and all the things that she's doing um, to be the best Jill that she can be. Yes. You guys are going to love Jill. Good morning, Jill. Hello. How are you? Good morning. Welcome to the show. Thank you. We haven't seen you in so long. I know. I think that when I saw you in March, March, February, March, I saw you. I came to um, Arizona yes. and we got to meet up. And before that, the both of us got to see you at She Recovers in September of last year. Yes. And yes, that- you've ruined me for 90s rap, Jill. Every time I hear any 90s rap song comes on the radio, I think of you and I just <laughs> want to pull the car over. Yeah. And throw down. Get my, get my groove on. <laughs> Yeah, we, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to touch on that because you're going to you're going to she recovers in Miami in 2020. Yes, of course. Yes. Yeah. Jill, I'm Jill picking Ar- out my outfits and texting Tammy <laughs> options. <laughs> she sent me this one outfit. I'm like, yeah, done. Yeah, you you've already got it. It's already figured out. <laughs> because you were so infectious on the dance floor, and I had only met you kind of not met you, but just kind of seen you through Instagram and little comments that we'd done. I don't even know for how long we've been friends on Instagram. But um, you were kind of like a wild card for me because I was not expecting you to know every single word to every single 90s rap song. And um, Well, it's that whole judging a book by its cover, right? So for our listeners, Jill is very... Um, uptight. Very, no, no, not uptight. No, I'm talking about just your appearance. You're very put together. Jill wears pearls. She yeah. has, she looks like she could be right out of a J. Crew catalog. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but she I can pop my collars quite a bit. Yeah. She yeah. can bust a Very move. Very preppy. Yeah. Yeah. She can bust a freaking move. Yeah. So her dance moves, you had on that sexy black jumpsuit. <laughs> and you thrifted that, right? Oh, yeah. It was $5. Yeah, that's the best kind of jumpsuit, yeah. right? Yeah. And then you had just this lovely mess of pearls, like long and medium. Was it all one strand or was it a bunch one of stuff? strand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just sexy. You just look sexy as all get out. And then to see you dance and lip sync, basically, or sing to all of the songs, I was like... Every word. <laughs> she was. I wanted what she had. Like, you know, when you see that person across the room, I'm like, oh, I'm going over there. That's where I want. I want to dance next to that lady. Well, the crazy part was that I really did not have high expectations at all. I was kind of like, what is this? Silent disco? I don't get it. And as soon oh, as yeah. I put those headphones on, I was like transported in, you know, to, <laughs> back to, mm-hmm. you know, college when I listened to all those songs and danced in basements. And I had gone through this amazing forgiveness um, workshop where I was literally in tears, forgiving myself, shedding all of these layers. Mm. And by the time we got to the banquet and we actually sat together and I was having a good time and feeling good in my skin. And by the time I put those headphones on and had my high heels on and I was rocking it and I just kind of let loose and really just quit thinking about what other people would think of me. And I was just in a zone and I can't tell you the last time I've been like that. It was a good zone, Jill, because it was, (laughs) and and I'm, I'm not making fun or anything like you were like, it was like how you hear in the rooms, like, find somebody who has what you want. And that mm-hmm. night, it was the same thing for me. I am very self-conscious, nervous to dance. I'd only danced a couple times in sobriety. I was like, I don't really know if this is going to be my jam. Yeah. And 
I saw you dancing and I basically was like, I'm going upstairs and changing out of this gown that I brought that makes me feel like it's not me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm putting on my pleather pants and my Sandra kimono and I'm going to go dance next to that lady and all those gals that were all around. And Natalie was, you know, my spirit. (laughs) Holy cow. When we found each other, it was like, you know, all bets are off. Natalie Fairbrook, for our listeners, has been on the show and she was throwing down with Jill. They were like kind of having a wrap off or something. I don't know what it was, but it was really awesome. And for our listeners who don't know what we're talking about, it was the She Recovers event in LA last year. Um, And it was a silent disco that you put headphones on and people are on different frequencies. There's like three frequencies and you could tell by the color of someone's headphone, what frequency they were on. And it was so cool for people who wanting to get on other people's frequency to see like what they were experiencing. Mm -hmm. It was a beautiful metaphor for recovery, I thought. And you kind of exemplified this kind of beautiful energy that, um, that was infectious. It was great. Right. And I think you touched on something so important too, Jill. It's like that joy that can elude us if we are too caught up in what, uh, you know, thinking about what other people are going to think about us, which we can't control anyway. Well, and that's why I was saying I, I kind of describe myself as uptight. I can't even tell you how often I curate my Instagram to make it look one certain way. And I'm not like that. When people meet me, they're like, oh, you're fun. (laughs) No idea based on what I post. Um, And so, you know, I'm not, I'm in marketing. So I want it to look a certain way. And I think that relates to my whole story about how I'm, I've always been kind of broken on the inside, but to, to the outside, things are going along swimmingly. Well, we are going to get to that. Yeah. So do you want to, do you want to let our listeners know, maybe this is the part where we tell you tell people how you came to the decision to quit drinking and then we can kind of unfold it from there. Sure. Sound good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I've never really told my story. So I was kind of taking some notes last night Uh and um, I grew up in Nebraska, which is like the drinking capital of the uh, lower 48, I feel like. (laughs) And I was raised by a single mom until I think I was like seven. And I went to the bar with her one Saturday afternoon because she didn't have childcare. And um, it was kind of like a fun, like she's going to go say hi to her friend that was a bartender. And I was in tow, which is kind of an odd thing that you would take your child to the bar on a Saturday afternoon. And that's where she met my stepdad. And there was like three people in this bar I was having like a Shirley Temple and they started dancing on the dance floor. It was kind of a little romantic situation, but um, that's kind of how I grew up as, you know, alcohol was glorified and people were fun and I, we had parties at our house and, and I just, um, you know, when you think about, you gravitate to um, people that you like. I gravitated to the people that had fun and had a cocktail in their hand. And so, you know, I started drinking really early and my parents didn't even really say anything. It was, I think we would have parties and I would be down in the basement having beers at 14 or 15. And it just wasn't ever like a, don't do that. I lied my tail off though. I would start sneaking out of the house and, um, and going and being with my friends to drink, but it it never got really super crazy. Um, I was always super duper self-conscious, especially in high school. Like that was literally the worst point in my life was 16, 17. I just didn't know who I was. 
everybody kind of had something that I didn't have. And so I used alcohol probably to kind of become someone else that I wanted to be. Um, but it was, it wasn't until college where I really kind of came into my own. I started being a lot more like myself and I started becoming a little bit more popular. And then I, I found, you know, the Greek system was really white hot at my college. I joined a sorority and it was kind of like the Thursday, Friday, Saturday kind of thing. And I learned what day drinking was because we would go prime before the football games, but it was, it was never out of control. And then, um, flash forward to graduation and I moved a couple times and I never really wanted the white picket fence story. So I moved to Phoenix, which I thought was a really big city. And it turned out it's just, um, um, a hundred miles across city. <laughs> it's not very big. We have no downtown. Um, and I just kind of met up with a ton of Nebraskans and Iowans and all these people from the Midwest that just kind of didn't want to settle down. And that's where I started. I just continued drinking and Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I would go to work hungover and, but I was having fun. I was climbing the corporate ladder. I was, I have always been in marketing and advertising. And so it was just kind of a fun thing. I would gravitate to all these people that like to go out and talk and be social. And that was my jam. And then I think when I was about 28, I met someone that was 12 years older than me and he had a PhD in drinking <laughs> and really taught me how to dial it up. I mean, fancy cocktails and um, you'd have white wine with your salad and red with your meat and he uh, was a chef. And so I just kind of, I kind of gravitated to him because he was older and he had a great vocabulary and he wooed me and um, we went to all these fabulous places and he taught me to drink in the airport before a trip. And then when you, you know, we went to Napa for my 30th birthday. I've never had so much alcohol in one sitting. We had like caviar with vodka. I mean, it was like the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And that's when um, I really kind of stepped it up as far as um, I just drinking became a, the norm in my life, not just Thursday, Friday, Saturday, but kind of like at night with dinner kind of thing. And it was it was really romantic and fancy and French food and Italian food and blah, blah, blah. So I ended up marrying said PhD and drinking. And um, what happened was that I kind of became obsessed with his drinking. And I, I would slow down to see if he would slow down. And then I would keep drinking because I was annoyed at his level of drinking. So I guess if I just joined the party, then you know, I couldn't judge. Mm -hmm. And like three or four years into our marriage, um, it just was not working. He had lost a job or two. My mom ended up dying, which if you guys, I mean, we've had plenty of people on the podcast where you hear someone's parent dies and like the wheels come off and that's mm -hmm. happened for me. Um, I drank quite a bit to grieve, but when I was kind of figured it out, like this isn't going to work. Um, my husband did not stop. And so I remember going to um, my, my stepdad's cabin one holiday and I kind of got his permission that I was going to get a divorce. And then I came back from this vacation and my husband had gone to AA. 
Like he just woke up one day without an intervention, without a DUI, and he went to AA. And I came back and I was kind of shocked because I was like, oh crap, what do I do now? Right. And I just had all of these grandiose dreams that things were going to get better because he was sober. And the interesting thing was that he was really happy. He found all of these great men's meetings. Phoenix is really known for its recovery, I feel like. And I just was like really, really bitter. And I did not have the joy he had. And I was really jealous. And he had suggested to me that I go to Al-Anon. And I'm like, this is not my problem. I do not need a meeting. And I went begrudgingly. And I think I walked in, did not raise my hand that I was a newcomer and like walked out. Like, I mean, like sat in the back of the room. And it was a big room, like 100 people. And so maybe a couple months later, I went back and I actually like sat in the chair and kind of absorbed it, raised my hand, got a pamphlet. And as I left the meeting, this wonderful woman met me in the parking lot by my car and she had recognized me as a newcomer and she chatted with me. And um, she took me back into the meeting hall because there was this 12 step retreat coming up. And so I got signed up to do the 12 steps in Al-Anon, like as a brand newcomer. Wow. Yeah. She and saw you coming. She was like, she's the one, we need to grab her. Yeah, I don't, it's, it was the weirdest thing. And mind you, this woman is the exact same age as my mother and she's gorgeous. And I just felt this warmth from her right away. And she ended up becoming my sponsor. Mm. And so, um, um, Al-Anon's are kind of known for like wanting to fix situations and like, tell me what I need to do. I'm going to do it. And then I'm going to like move on. And it was really great that I went to this retreat right away because, um, I kind of understood the whole program and I ended up doing the 12 steps. I never was religious. I never had a spiritual bone in my body. I had my first kind of chat with my higher power, even though I wasn't really sure what that was going to be. Mm-hmm. in the woods in Arizona. It was, it was really a magical experience. And so I started finding this joy that was really pushed down. And, and so flash forward a couple years and I've gone to a couple of retreats and um, my marriage was really rocky and we had even moved to San Diego because gosh, what a great idea for a, um, Rocky marriages to move. That's called the geographic, by the way. Right. Relocate. <laughs> let's, do, let's do one of those. <laughs> and what I realized was like, oh my God, my problems just followed me straight to the beach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So not only was it expensive to live at the beach, but I was completely lonely. I convinced my corporate job that I could do it there, but I wasn't going to the office anymore. I wasn't wearing fancy, you know, jumpsuits and heels and pearls. So no one cared about Jill at the beach. And I kind of lost myself. Like I didn't know, I didn't have an identity. People in California don't look you in the eye. Like I'm from Nebraska. I'm waiting for people on the street to like, you know, strike up a conversation. That was not the case. And so I went to Al-Anon meetings to um, have friends. And I was going to counseling and la, la, la. And finally, I go to another retreat back in Arizona. And I kind of raised my hand at the end of it. And I was like, I think I'm drinking too much. Mm. And this woman, the facilitator, she kind of asked me the questions about, well, you know, 
can you stop after one? And I was like, no. And she's like, well, do you think about it? You know, are you waiting for like five o'clock to roll around? And I'm like, yeah. And then she said, um, she asked a couple more questions. And, and then the, the last one was like, do you black out? And I was like, well, who doesn't black out? You know, right. I didn't really know what blackout meant, but I, you know, I wasn't really sure. But anyway, she said, well, why don't you just try 30 days not drinking? And, um, and mind you, my husband's still sober. So I'm just like drinking at the beach in our darling cottage because I was lonely and just like didn't know who I was and I wasn't really happy in my marriage. So as soon as I just stopped drinking for 30 days, I was like, well, this is kind of easy. And then I was going to Al-Anon. I never went to an AA. And then I was like, well, I'm going to do 90 days. And then I got laid off from my job. And I didn't drink and all these things happened and I had to figure out what I was going to do next. And I started a business, a marketing consulting business, and I wasn't drinking and I had all of this creativity. You know, I had the pink cloud like that everybody talks about the creativity and the clear mindedness and the joy and just life was good. And I did it for a year where I did not drink and I ended up leaving my marriage left San Diego, moved back to Phoenix. Life was really good. I got a darling little cottage here. I decorated it how I wanted. I pretty much left my ex on good terms and I came here to start over. And then the year ended and I'm like, gosh, what am I going to do now? It was really easy to stop. I think I can probably moderate. So I started moderating right after that year of not drinking. What year is this around, Jill, just for time oh, for listeners? Yeah, it, um, it was 2011. Okay. And um, then, okay, so I'm getting a divorce, and I meet someone, and I had a baby right away. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Hello, still not divorced, pregnant with someone else. This is a baby. Yeah, that was awesome. These things happen. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh right away I had to stop drinking. I was pissed. So it, it was only April to July that, um, I was not, that I could drink, uh-huh. but no, no one was going to tell me that I couldn't drink. If I didn't want to drink on my own, that was one thing. That's how stubborn I was. And that's how kind of like already mentally obsessed I was with the alcohol, which yeah. looking back, I was like, Hmm. So I have my baby. I moved to the suburbs. I'm with this very stable, um, kind of boring engineer. He was my age. There was no shiny object syndrome with this guy, like with my other husband. And we ended up getting married and I move in and he's got a son who doesn't particularly like me or the baby, which was, you know, and he's a teenager. So that was awkward. So I kind of tiptoed around this new house where I was living and raising a baby that I was not expecting to have. Although I, you know, I loved my baby, but I, I'm sure I had postpartum and I, I would work at, um, in my house and then I would wait for five or six o'clock and, and then I started drinking daily. By the time my kid was like three, I was kind of looking at the clock. And so having had that experience of not drinking for a year and understanding, you know, what the the four things are about what makes someone an alcoholic, I was kind of like, hmm, I'm hiding how much I'm drinking. 
I'm waiting for it to be five or six o'clock. I don't stop at one. And then I started blacking out and that was it. I, I had a couple blackouts with a client, which was horrible. Mm, yeah. And, and I was like, okay, I'm done. And that was July or January 13th, 2017. Now, had you stopped going to Al-Anon once you had gone through your divorce? You know, just, um, when I moved to the suburbs, I quit going regularly because it was so far away across town. And I never found, I never found a group that was as special as that home group of mine. So I would go occasionally, maybe like once a month, every six weeks to see my friends and kind of sit in the seat and talk about, you know, what my stresses were about trying to control the teen or trying to control my husband or trying to control my, you know, child, you can't control a kid. So, but no, I didn't. And I never went to AA. Um, so I just kind of white knuckled it a little bit. Well, when I, when I went out to Arizona and we met up, um, I got to go to an Al-Anon meeting with you. And I just realized I probably should ask this at the top of the show, but for people who are listening that don't know what Al-Anon is, can you, t- is there a general way you can describe what it is and, and you know, yeah. who it's for? Yeah. Um, It basically is for anyone who has a relationship with someone that um, abuses alcohol. And it can be a family member or a friend or a colleague, anyone that, you know, is affected by alcohol. And then you're, as, as the friend or family member, your thinking becomes distorted and you're trying to force the solutions and you become irritable. And so I kind of think like everyone on planet earth is an Al-Anon of some sort because Mm. everybody is affected by someone else's drinking. Hey, Unruffled listeners, just popping in mid show to remind you about our Patreon fundraising campaign. To date, we have produced almost two years worth of content and have over half a million downloads. We can hardly believe it. If you like what you've been hearing and appreciate our weekly consistency, you can be a patron of this show for as little as a dollar an episode. To donate, please go to patreon.com backslash the unruffled podcast. Thank you for your continued support of the show. Now back to it. Well, Jill, I have a question. Sure. Um, I, I am very intrigued by Al-Anon. I don't particularly think I need it uh, because I, I, there's no one in my life that has a problem with alcohol, but, um, I think how it addresses issues of control, I think are interesting. Um, because we all want, we all try to exercise some amount of control onto other people or situations or circumstances. We just can't help it, you know? Yeah. But I think about like, so when you first started going to Al-Anon, was it because you you were put off by your husband's recovery, like he was getting better and you weren't in control of that part anymore. Is that what kind of twisted you up? I had so much resentment about um, all the hurt that he had caused because he was, you know, he was covering it up. And so when I would come home, I would, you know, go to smell his breath to see if he had been drinking or not. Mm. And, um, and 
and you know there were resentments around money and all of these things that um you know married couples go through and he had the joy that i wanted but i i just couldn't find it and you know i had i had the fear i was very victim martyr i i was like a negative thinker like right now i like think about gratitude a lot i didn't have gratitude and I had a lot of anger. I still was pretending to the outside world that my marriage was spectacular. Again, I'm in marketing, so everything looks amazing. But on the inside, I was really broken. And that's when he suggested I go. And I'm like, who the hell are you to tell me to go to a meeting? This is your thing. Mm -hmm. And then I quickly realized when I was complaining about him in the rooms that it wasn't him, I was supposed to be there for me, getting better for me, because I can't fix or control anybody else. The only power I have is to like fix how I see the world. Yeah. And I was really addicted to drama. And, and I would create drama when there wasn't drama. If things were kind of going well, I might like start an argument just to like kind of get that adrenaline going. Mm -hmm. And I found out I was an adult child of an alcoholic. So then that creates a whole other set of things like abandonment and all these kinds of things. And so when I married my second husband, I didn't have any drama because he's like steady Eddie. He has a great job. He does what he says he's going to do. And then I would be like kind of bored. Like what, what's going on? Like, where's the drama? Right. So, I, I swear. I think addiction to drama is one of the terrible original addictions for many oh, yeah. of us. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so that's why people call Al-Anon sometimes the master's course for the 12 steps, because you can get sober, but the emotional sobriety that you really need in life, I think that's why so many people in AA go to Al-Anon is because there's always going to be difficulty with people. So Jill, I... I think I need Al-Anon, um, which I feel differently than Sandra because I feel like I know a lot of alcoholics and I feel like I am prone to drama and not staying in my lane, right? <sighs> so I feel like, and, and for raising my son and for parenting, I think it would be really helpful. Um, and so I feel like I, I need it. I'm attracted to it. I went with you. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like going to a, a little bit like an AA meeting for the first time. Yeah. You don't know what's up. Yeah. There's a lot of reading um, at the beginning, kind of like in my morning meeting, I have, there's a lot of reading. Mm -hmm. um, but what I liked those, that speaker that we saw when I was with you, like, I love a speaker meeting. Like I love oh, hearing yeah. somebody's story and she was so masterful and just talking about, like, I resonated with everything she said. It spoke to me, like how I want to control people and situations. Yeah. And being and, judgy. I know that you always uh, joke about putting your judgy pants on, but yeah. I mean, yeah. So it seems, it you seems can't, you can't just, you can stop drinking, but stop judging. That's even, I think harder. Well, <laughs> you know? I've, I've been, a I have a, a new friend um, who's been in Al-Anon for 30 years and I've been having lunch with her and meeting with her and been friends with her on Instagram. And something that she said that really packed a punch. And I think I might've shared it on a previous episode, but I'm going to say it again. She was like, 
it's great that you have continuous days of sobriety. That's really cool when you're sober um, that you can, you know, I haven't had a drink in 700 days. She's like, I can't claim that I've been emotionally sober. I don't have continuous lengths of emotional sobriety. Mm -hmm. So we never get those days or those milestones because it's well, it's not so black and white, you know, with drinking, you're either drinking or you're not drinking. That's very, it's, it's very stark, very black and white. Totally. But that, that made me pause and think about it when I was driving home that day, I was thinking, gosh, because we, I mean, I still go to meetings now. I don't go so that I won't drink. I go so that I can maintain some level of emotional sobriety and try to set myself right for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, that's usually why I try to go to a 7 a.m. meeting. So that's interesting. Like the, the whole purpose of Al-Anon, it seems like, is emotional sobriety. Is that? Yeah. Of, yeah. It, yeah. And it's kind of a buzzword in the business world, emotional intelligence. It's really about how to be sane when others around you, you know, are struggling and it can, it relates to parenting. It relates to driving your car when people are speeding around you. I mean, like, how are you going to react when you're not getting your way? I mean, that affects all of us. Yeah. And by the way, this is group therapy for a dollar, like a dollar right. donation. You're right. You're I'm right. like, how can I get this much joy from donating $1? This is like the best therapy yeah. ever. Yeah. Now is, is Al-Anon set up sort of like an AA meeting where there's no, um, cross talk, which mm-hmm. means you don't give, give advice. You just share your own experience. Yeah. 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 My, the meeting that Tammy and I went to is that it was probably a hundred people in the room. Sometimes they're a lot smaller and there was a speaker for about 15 minutes. And then we broke up into groups and there's a topic. The other day, the topic was judging others, which I thought was amazing. And, um, and you know, the big takeaway for me that day was when I judge others, I'm really judging myself and feeling insecure. And so then I'm projecting that crap onto other people. And, you know, we kind of bond over, you know, being catty and judging people. And I, I just don't want to be like that anymore. Right. Boy, I tell you what, I came to that realization on my own somehow. I, I don't know, probably, you know, just through all the different avenues of work I've been doing over the last year since I've been sober. But yeah, I think judgment in particular is, is, it always comes back to me. If I really like make myself pause and, and ask myself, what are you judging about this person and why? It's always something I'm insecure about. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true, Sandra. Judgment was one of my character defects that I wrote a a ton about in my step six and then trying to find the opposite of that, right? So judgment and Sandra, you and I have talked about this discernment, right? Rather than, other than being judgy, maybe trying to discern and looking at that as a positive character trait, right? That, that I can be more discerning. Um, but the flat out judgy pants that I put on, um, that, that when I wore those, that's when drama would ensue. That's why I love the acronym for God, you know, grace over drama, mm-hmm. because when I can remember to do that or to kind of harness that, or even just kind of grasp it for us a, a minute, right. A little bit of grace, a little, just calm my ass down. Um, that's a work in progress every single day. And that's why I use that as a mantra because, um, 
it spills into every part of my life with my husband, with my son, um, with other women, with, with, with prospective, um, sponsees with people in the rooms. Like that's where I get to practice a lot is in the rooms mm-hmm. because I am with other pe- other alcoholics that I can, or people who are, have a problem with drinking or whatever they call themselves. That is a great place for me to practice this kind of stuff. Like what is my part? You know, I've been lately practicing amends with people in the rooms or, or speaking up about men touching and hugging and I'm not comfortable with it. And I'm practicing saying that in the room so that I can actually do that outside the rooms a little more effectively. It's like, it's, I feel like it's like a practice area going to the meetings and hearing and absorbing and then getting to kind of practice those principles there first before I go out in the wild. (laughs) Right. And it's not about being perfect or being like more evolved than other people. You know, sometimes I think, oh my God, all this work that I do, what am I I trying to prove here? I'm just human. Um, But at the same time, I don't, I don't know what my point is with this, except I'm being judgy. (laughs) Hmm. Because you're human. Because you're human. But, but, you know, it's, I guess it's just about, yeah, just being the, the, the best human I can possibly be. Right. Yeah. (laughs) More compassion really is what it comes down to for me. It's just how can I show up with more compassion? Well, and, and Jill, for, for how, so how many years roughly have you been in the rooms then of, of Al-Anon? I think 10 years, about 10 years or maybe longer. Yeah. And you have a sponsor. Yeah. And two weeks ago there was a guy saying like, you know, you can come on a Saturday morning and sit in the chair and absorb what you're hearing, but you know, it doesn't really work unless you're working the program. And I have not worked the program for a long time. And I used to do the retreat, you know, annually and I have, I've missed it. And so I haven't worked the steps in a while. and, And in prep for this call, I was kind of going through my books and we, there's an Al-Anon blue book. And then we also go through the AA big book. Um, and when you, for those of you that are in AA, when you go through the big book, um, you just take out the word alcoholic and, and replace it with Al-Anon. Mm-hmm. And so you read it the same way. I mean, cause oh, it's okay. very similar. Yeah. Right. That's why um, our retreat uses both books. And then um, I realized I told my sponsor that day at breakfast, I'm like, I kind of need to do the steps. And she's like, okay, let's do it. And so that's my goal is to get back on the horse and, you know, just have a working program for me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, and then one question though about alcohol, Jill. So do you ever, I mean, did you ever suffer from cravings or anything like that? Oh, I totally craved it. And the, when I quit, it was really, I felt like it was easy because, um, I just, I think, when I decided to do it, I was just done. Cause I had already, I'd already experienced the amazing feeling of what it was going to be like. And I just, I kind of resigned to the fact like, okay, I'm just going to not do it ever again. And as soon as I got past the craving bit, I definitely ate more sugar, but then it goes away. And we just had a graduation party at our house and there was alcohol here. And I, 
I was not affected by it. And for me, um, I didn't have a, like a major rock bottom moment. Um, you know, maybe I was drinking two to four glasses. I mean, I, it was not like a ton, but it was for me, I was mentally obsessed. I had the craving. I was drinking too much. I was sneaking it. And then I had the blackout. And for me, that's too much. Right. That's well, yeah. All that uh, adds up yeah. to you. And then the people that drank just as much as me are like, you don't have a problem. Like, well, for me, I had a problem. Like you do right. your own thing. But for me, it was, it's not right. I, and they always say, you know, when you know, when you know, you can't unknow. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to use that very phrase because yeah. you, you, you know, being married to someone who identified as an alcoholic, having a, you know, a, a being a child of an alcoholic, you, you, you are, you ha kind of have a PhD and <laughs> I mean, yeah. you, you, you know where the road goes. Right. Yeah. And yeah, my, when I quit, I was telling my ex that I quit and he's like, you, you don't really have a problem. You're kind of like an alcoholic in training and you know, it is progressive. Right. And so, you know, maybe to others, it would seem like I didn't have that big of a problem and maybe I didn't need to quit forever. But for me, I needed to quit forever. I was tired of waking up at 3am with the guilt yeah, and saying I, I wasn't going to do it again. And I did it again. And that's to me a bad, a bad thing. It's so interesting when, um, when others tell you, you don't have a problem and it's like, um, we say on the show a lot, like it, your, your bottom can be a feeling and that feeling of the waking up in the middle of the night with the, you know, your heart pounding and the sweats and the anxiety, mm -hmm. you know, no one else ever is going to see that, that two o'clock in the morning awakening, right. You know, where you're taking inventory of your whole life and what a piece of shit you are and like, what's wrong with you and what a bad mom. I, I mean, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me, right. <laughs> but, you know, like no one's going to see that. And I'm not going to ever say that out loud unless I've had a few drinks in me most likely. Um, so like, you know, you can, only yeah. know. the person who is, who is yeah. having, if, if um, like when you're talking about having two to four drinks, like for me, I would be like, well, that's 14 or 28 drinks a week. For me, that sounds like a lot. Um, speaking of judging, sorry, that sounds like a lot. And if, if I, I was having way more than that, does that make me more of a problem? Less? No, it's all the same. It's all yeah. the same. Yeah. Do you well, feel? and I, and I tell you what, it's that very specific memory of that event, waking up every morning, <sighs> being sweaty, sweaty, and yeah. my heart palpitations, hating myself, that, that shame. particular thing right there is why I do not have the desire to ever drink again. Yeah. It's a good thing to remember. It's like, it's like they say in the rooms, like we do not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. Right. Because that past informs like that. I don't want to drink anymore. And that yeah. when I get tempted or when I see a really beautiful drink on a cocktail menu or see something and start to romanticize it. Yeah. Let's think about 2am. No, I fast forward to that very moment. Yeah, for sure. Whenever I get any sort of, any sort of romantic ideation about anything alcoholic. Yeah. I, I fast forward to that very event because that's always that, that was consistent. <laughs> right. Right. You know, I might not always black out or I might not always piss off my husband or I might not always make my children cry or whatever, but that, that wake up, that 2 a.m. wake up always consistently. And only happens. you know about it. Yeah, yeah exactly.
Yeah. You know, it's interesting when, you know, how, you know, the moms go to the store and get the six pack of wine for the deal. Mm -hmm. I would take my son after I picked him up from preschool and I would go to the grocery store and occasionally, you know, fill up and we would go down the wine aisle and I lied to him and said that wine was coffee. So just in case we were ever at the store and he's like, mom, don't forget your coffee. People wouldn't be judging me. So I have to make an amends to my kid because I lied to my kid about what wine is. A couple of years ago, he's like, oh, mom. Uh, don't you need some coffee? And I'm like, oh my God, I totally forgot I lied to my yeah. kid. You're living amends to him, I am sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, yeah, but he won't he, ever know that what life was like because I quit when he was like three. Mm. So as I say, are you, do you feel, um, can I ask how old you are? I'll be 45. 45. And so do you feel like um, you're a more present mom? And, oh my God, right? totally. Yeah. And that goes to my toolbox or or a lot of the things I do with my toolbox have to do with being a mom and being in the moment. And that has been my greatest joy is being there. We get that, we get that back. Right. I know Sandra uh, and I talk a lot. Our kids uh, are older her oldest son and my son are the same age. And then she has her, her daughter, but like the things that we get to be present for now mm-hmm. and that we're able to drive. Like I used to hate driving carpool cause I was hungover. Um, I, I love it now. I look forward to it. I love the car conversations. I love what he shares with me in the car. I call it like the carpool, carpool confessional. It's before the mm-hmm. other kids get in and it's just him and I, or when I pick him up from carpool drop off, that's like the magic time. And I would have missed all that, you know, if I was still in bed asking my husband to do it every day. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And it's not, you know, and it's not about being this like, so the sacrificial parent either, mm-hmm. um, you know, because I know that I need time away from them too. Like I, I can, you know, I can be very selfish with my time, but now it's intentional. You know, now I, go out and do things without them. Or I set aside time just for myself. Um, and because before, you know, because we were all under the same roof all the time, I would have told you, my kids never leave my side. What do you mean? I'm, you know, I'm a selfish, you know, you know, what do you, what do you mean? I'm selfish or whatever. I justified my drinking, but yet, um, you know, I, they could be right next to me, but I would be in a completely other place never present with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I feel it's a whole, it's a whole nother, um, it's, it's, I live amends. That's what my sponsor tells me when I, when I can't apologize to him directly for some of the things that I did when I was drinking, she's like, you just live it. You just live the hell out of it. You take that carpool, you go ahead and quietly do something for him that you don't have to tell him about. You don't have to be a martyr about, you just do it and you do it with a smile. <laughs> And that's how you live your amends to your kid. And I'm like, all right, I can do that. I am, and I try really hard. And, and lately the Al-Anon thing has been um, coming up for me. And that's why I was so excited to talk to you, Jill. And I really appreciate you being so open about your story. Um, but I realized, like, I've been asking my husband to go. And what I realized, because I know how it works in AA, right? You can't make somebody go to a meeting. No. <laughs> no. You can't be like, you need to go to Alan because that's like telling somebody you need to go to an AA meeting. Most people are like, right. F you. I'm not. You need that. therapy. Right. Yeah. You're not the boss yeah. of me. So um, I realized that, you know, and, I, and I've been wanting him to go for four years. And um, 
I, it was this February um, when I hit my four years, I, I, I just finally had this little light turn on after a, a series of events with my husband that I realized, what are you doing? He, you cannot make someone go. You cannot make him go. I wouldn't want him to go if I made him go. You know what I mean? Because you're just going to sit there with your arms crossed in the back saying, F you, I don't need to be here. <laughs> this is stupid. And then I realized, hey, maybe you need to go, Tammy. <laughs> well, right. I was going to say, that's, I think that's what you, <laughs> I, think my that's part, I think that's the part you work on and Alan on is. It's attraction, not promotion. Letting, letting yes, go, of, letting go of, uh, that you have control right. over other people. So I've been drawn to my, my Alan on friends recently, just going, okay, they have something that I want as well. And I'm kind of intrigued and interested to kind of travel down that path and see. So I'll see. There's a meeting right after my AA meeting in the morning. So I could really just get all full up on myself. You'll have to text me after after you go. I will. I will. But I think I have some things to learn. And, um, and the women in my life that are in the program, I, I, yes, I absolutely um, admire them and and they, they work a good program as they say, quote unquote. And I, um, yeah. So thank you. I would just, I appreciate this whole conversation. I think our listeners are going to really dig it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, I think it's, it's such a, gosh, the control thing is such an important topic. Yeah. I wrote, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I wrote down worry is the biggest form of control. Mm-hmm. And I learned that. And I also learned that Al-Anon people are addicted to adrenaline and we're giant procrastinators. And when you go to a meeting, there's always people running late. And <laughs> right? I, I totally identify with those things. Yeah. Worry is the biggest form of control. That's interesting. I'm going to think about that. Right. You're right. Because it's, it's worry is. I've, I've written that down, something similar to that in my journals many times. Because you're right. It's, it's you, you think you can control the outcome of something. Hmm. Mm. And that's exactly what worry is. And I mean, but I grew up thinking that, and I've mentioned this before, that if you didn't worry about something that you didn't, that meant you didn't care. Oh, yeah. 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 It's kind of like you have these grandiose ideas that, that, well, I'm, I'm special. I think differently. I'm an exception to the rule. I'm important enough that I can, I can fix that thing on the other end. Um, I have that much power, which I, I don't, it's all. It's all a lie that I've told myself over the years, but it gave me the illusion of control, like to worry, to micromanage, to procrastinate. It takes up so much space in my brain when I do that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, Jill, I, we have so many other things to talk about too. I know we've talked a long time, but I, you under your um, name, when you sent us um, some information about yourself, called yourself a creative catalyst. And I love that. That is a fantastic. What do you? Well, when I started my marketing business, I didn't want to be like principal or CEO. I thought that was kind of ridiculous. So I called myself a creative catalyst and no one wants to say, oh, I'm a marketing consultant because people are like, what's that? And so my job is to help people um, promote their brands and promote their companies. And I wanted to have a fun title. So I called myself creative catalyst and I just make things happen for entrepreneurs and business owners that have all these great ideas and they just kind of want to vomit at the idea of executing the ideas and they're on the go and they just need to delegate things to me. And so I just project manage and pitch ideas and 
you know, a lot of these people I work with are experts in their field. And so I get them speaking gigs and um, work on websites and do all that kind of stuff. So. Sandra, we, we need Jill. <laughs> well, and I was going to say, then you get to use your powers for good, right? Because, you know, that is your, the, the, those things are in your, the world of things you, Jill can control. <laughs> and I yeah. bet you do it really well. Yeah. yeah. I'm terrible at self-promotion, but I love to, um, you know, be the whiz behind the curtain when it comes to other people. That's amazing. Yeah, I think self-promotion, Sandra, I wanted to talk oh about that in another episode too, because it's, it's like, I suck at it. I just suck. I do it. And then I feel weird. And I'm like, I'm not a professional. And Jill, you and I tapped, you know, we talk, talked about this a little bit in January and I was going to follow up with you. And then I never did because self-doubt and, you know, it's like this whole thing. It's so bizarre. Here we are creatives and but there is a little bit that you have to, you have to promote yourself if you're going to do what you do. I know. And it feels so icky and doing a great job. (laughs) And I don't tell you that enough, but it's so hard. Just even writing your own bio. It's just like, could we all just write someone else's bio for them? And so we don't have to write our own, you know, things like that. It's hard. It's hard. So hard. Absolutely. Um, so I also, so in, in your work that you do, um, you're obviously a creative soul. You have um, a kind of outside of your work, a way that you're creative as well. And that's with your home and design and style, I, I feel. Do you feel like that's accurate? Yeah, I've literally, since I was strong enough to move furniture, I've been like rearranging um, my room or my house. And and I kind of got into thrifting, um, I don't know, right before my son was born. And, you know, like, I didn't know what a thrift store was. I've never been inside a Goodwill. I didn't know about the 50% off Saturdays. I didn't know about any of this. And um, when I kind of started having to, like, rebuild my uh, life as a single person, I was like, oh, there's these vintage um, flea markety kind of things. And I started kind of just realizing I liked that like shabby chic look where stuff is painted and, you know, sanded off. And, and then I kind of started buying old furniture and painting it and making everything look kind of eclectic and, you know, Pinterest, I can go down a rabbit hole with that easily. And I love Pinterest. Oh gosh. Yeah. And so my house just brings me so much joy. Um, that's just kind of how one way I get my creative juices out is, you know, I put the books on the shelf a certain way and <laughs> organize oh, color, it. you know, like Stop. change them around or. Well, it's such a creative expression. Um, yeah. my mom growing up, she, rearranging furniture, she like, has a black belt in it. And we would come home from school at three fifteen, and my mom would be like, you guys ready to rearrange the living room? We're like, Oh, mom. So she would wait for us to get home so we could help her move everything with her vision. My mom should have been an interior designer. Um, I really wish she would have pursued that because she was really, really good at it. And she just lacked the confidence, I think, to do that. Um, but she would do it for her friends and she would you know, do it for her family members. When we would go back home to Phoenix, she would help them rearrange. She still does. And um, it's a cheap, easy way to reinvent your house when you don't have any money. That's what I used it for mostly when 2008, when the market crashed and I was going to the food bank and I was, I 
I started thrifting and I started rearranging my house and having my husband help me refinish furniture. Like that was a great outlet. Oh, great. great outlet. Yeah. Jill, do you like to host parties? You know, um, I don't cook. I microwave. Oh, well, I asked because so you know, I, I don't feel like I, um, interior design is my forte at all. But I always like in I in my vision, my mental vision board. I am a good interior designer, but if if I go to all that trouble, then I'm going to have, I'm going to host some party. Like I want people, I want validation. I want somebody oh, yeah, to yeah. see it. <laughs> I, I, back in the day when I was married to my first husband, he was the chef and I was the homemaker. Right. So like I, I had the friends that would come over and they would ooh and ah about the house and that, that, you know, like propped up my ego and then when I didn't have that chef to cling on to, like I said, I microwave, like I am not going to do a spread, but I can make the, the tablescape amazing. And so just recently, in the last couple of years, we've been having family over for holidays and, and I get my groove on with, you know, making the house really cute and then hoping my husband takes care of the food. <laughs> But we are vegan for the most part. My husband and my son are vegan. So like no one really wants to come to our house for food. <laughs> so you're like, kind of bring your meat. Yeah. <laughs> Go put that on the Barbie yourself. Well, yeah, did exactly. you host, um, correct me if I'm wrong. Did you host like a creative get together with some of the house? Yeah. yeah. I did. And what did you guys do? Well, it's been a, over a year with a group of us who are unruffled listeners kind of put it out on um on the facebook group that we wanted to get together and so we met for lunch and then we just kept meeting and some of us went to she recover some didn't and then at christmas time or no i'm sorry it was like thanksgiving or halloween time i hosted a little get together where we like sewed pumpkins um, where you stuffed the little pumpkin with fabric and then we painted pumpkins and that was so fun. Oh, I love that. And mm. I'm coming was, out in June, Jill. Let's do something. I know. So it's going to be late June, early July. I'll let, okay, oh, I won't be. It. Oh, where are you Sorry. going? Where are you going? I'm going to um, the Midwest for a month to oh, experience oh summer. <laughs> That's right. Cause you don't want to be in. Uh, I do not want to be at 110 July. degrees. No. Yeah. I'll probably yeah. be near the end of June. My mom wants me to come in June, but I'll do that. But maybe we could get together with some unruffleds. Oh, we would love it. That would be really fun. Yeah. Well, Jill took me to the most amazing place. Where did we go to eat, Jill? That was super cute in the Phoenix area after yeah, our meeting. It's called Wildflower. Yeah. And it's, it's like a local little restaurant. There's, there's a wildflower chain, but it's different. Yeah. It's it darling. Was so adorable. The decor and the food and everything was great. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was wonderful. Um, so what, what do you do? Um, do you feel the pressure, uh, you know, being, um, sober now and being, um, um, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I got to be my best self now, right? I've got to be my highly evolved self. But when you are, um, like, do you volunteer at your son's school? Do you go over the top with any of that kind of stuff? Cause I used to do that a lot when I was drinking. I find that I don't do that at all now. 
And so I'm just curious, like, do you, being sober and being a mom and talking about making amends, do you feel like you have the pressure to do anything um, differently as a mom? Um, I enjoy certain things, but I'm not like, you know, the room mom for sure. Like I did art masterpiece where the the parents are actually in charge of um, teaching art at in, in our school district because they don't have that as a class anymore. And so I, I volunteer for that. And I, I've gone to a school a couple of times for certain volunteer things, but I don't, I'm not over the top because a lot of times I just don't have the bandwidth with, you know, be, working during the day. Yeah. But where I really get my kicks is the sporting events. Oh. And I never did a single sport in my entire life. So I'm kind of living, except I'm an amazing bowler. <laughs> and yeah and if dancing was a sport you oh and roller skating tammy i was really jealous i'm going oh. roller skating next week with the uh my son's school i'm gonna get my groove on but be careful um, i got a bloody knee out of it so just oh, so goodness. i'm gonna say put some pads on <laughs> fall backwards is yeah. all my my advice thank you sandra i did not do that so you're going with his school that's awesome. Yes, it's a little outing. And then, well, I am going to the Children's Museum. I'm a chaperone on the bus. So yeah, I guess I, I, I do yeah. things, but I'm not over the top. And my mom never did any of that because she was a single mom until I was eight and she had a big mm-hmm. job. And yeah, and I just learned, to, I was a latchkey kid. I never had expectations. I didn't do brownies. I didn't do sporting events. So now I want that for my kid. Like, And yeah. I want to, him to have the confidence I didn't have. Yeah. I couldn't do anything without my sister by my side. I had no confidence. Hmm. Well, that's why I just was trying to just ask you that just because of thinking about like, you just, we get to do it differently. Yeah. And, and yeah. And I, I get to show up in ways that I didn't even think about before. And before I volunteered a shit ton and I did it all with um, resentment and with martyrdom oh, yeah. and with like, look at me and pat me on the back because I do love a pat on the back. And oh, don't we all? Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were talking about that before we started recording, right? With social media and likes and things like we can get caught up in that kind of stuff. You took a break at the beginning of this a big week. break. Yeah. And how did that months. feel? Oh my gosh. Four how months? many? Four months? Wow. Yes. That's, that's awesome. And we could- four months and I dipped my toe into Instagram because um, I do social media for my clients. So I was in there for being able to post on certain accounts, but I did not have it on my phone for me. Right. And I dipped my toe in and I was scrolling. I was following tons of people and I didn't know them. And I'm like, this is completely boring. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I, I thought in and out, this is not satisfying my need to scroll. And then um, I think I went on a vacation and started posting again about what, where I was or whatever, but I did not miss it. I was so much happier um, that digital detox was really eye-opening, really. What prompted you to, to, to take the plunge? Um, I realized that I was not happy. I was spending way too much time on it. I was comparing myself to others, and I was really addicted to the, the dopamine hit of the like and the comment and just kind of obsessing over like, oh, people don't like this poster. Oh, they, they don't like that poster. You know, just silly. Or, or like, oh, here's a, the thing that was amazing. I did not walk around with my phone trying to take ah. pictures and document. I was actually being in the moment 
Mm-hmm. I would go places and my phone, my phone's in the car and my husband's like, who are you? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and who are you? It was life changing to be present at an event. And they say, if you're taking pictures, you're really not absorbing the experience. So I didn't take pictures for a really long time because I wasn't thinking about, oh, this would be a great Instagram post. I was thinking, God, this is really great. And look at the sky and the clouds and the beautiful weather and hear the laughter of the kids. And I wasn't capturing these moments, but I had a great time. I I find that um, I am on Instagram a lot when I am alone. Yeah. And I love it as a creative outlet. And I love it as using it as part of my work. And I love um, following inspiring people, all of that. But I find that when I'm with people, I don't post as much, you know, because I, I, I am in the moment. Um, I was doing something um, with my art professor and I, I found myself saying like, oh, I should take a picture of this and post it. And then I was like, no, because I'm at my art professor's home for an art date. I don't need to tell the world about that, you know, and, and she's not super open and shares a ton of stuff on it on social media. So I always try to be respectful of people who aren't on social media. Like I'm not going to force them to be on my feed or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I find it interesting when I took that month long break in November, um, it, did, it just felt spacious. It felt really expansive. It's hard to even describe how it felt. It just was different, but I, but I do love, I do love me some social media. So I imagine for you doing it for your work, it's really, uh, you're on it probably a lot just for work. Well, it's really easy to be in and out for work. I post stuff and I get off, but it's the scrolling and the time suck of like, you're just, it's, it's okay to be with yourself. It's okay to, you know, read a book. And I felt, I filled that time with other things like reading. Right. If I'm not scrolling for an hour, I'm reading a book and I've, I've read tons of books this um, year because for four months I was doing other things. Yeah. I scroll when I'm tired and, Uh, and that's when I scroll and I always, well, I don't always, I try to, that's when I try to catch myself and say, Sandra, you're tired. Just close your freaking eyes for 15 minutes. That's (laughs) what you really need. (laughs) Yeah. I was doing it to check out and it was just another self-medication. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's just, yeah. Like I said, it's the, it's the new addiction. (laughs) Yeah. I still use social media and food to self-medicate for sure. Like last night I had way too much ice cream and it was because I was stressed. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a good, it's a good thing to think of these things kind of like they're indicators, right? So that when you do, like you just connected those two pretty quickly, right? I ate a lot of ice cream and I was stressed. Mm-hmm. It's just like how I've been listening to my anxiety. It's like, what is it telling me? What's going on? It's not really the thing that I'm stressed out about. It's usually something else. But so it's a great kind of like red flag. Um, whereas before when the red flags would pop up, I would self-medicate and drink it away. Whereas now, yeah, we're either I'm eating chocolate covered raisins or I am um, on my phone. Why am I on my phone right now? Oh, cause I don't want to deal with that conversation with so-and-so, mm-hmm. or I don't want to go handle, I didn't email somebody back. I didn't do that yet. Or so it's, it's something else, but so it's a good, um, instead of being so down on myself all the time about all the things I have to, you know, quote unquote fix, <laughs> it's just like, Oh, that's just more information actually that can give me um, a heads up that I need to, to deal with my to-do list or something, you know? 
things that are waiting me down. Um, okay, Jill. I know we, we could probably talk, talk. in a while. I know we can talk to you. <laughs> um, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank uh, yeah. Thank you for talking. Yeah. Coming on and talking about Al-Anon so much. That was really, I think our listeners are going to find that super interesting. Yeah. Um, we are, this is the part of the show where we ask you what is in your unruffled toolbox, which for people who are listening that don't know what that is at the end of every show, we kind of ask, we don't kind of, we ask our listeners, uh, to share three things that help them kind of either with their sobriety, with their creativity, just three tools that are kind of in your box this week that you think might be helpful to share. What you got, Jill? I have um, categories, three categories. Excellent. All right, I'm taking notes. I'm into the notes, Sandra. What, what, what so the first one is play because I realized what brings me joy is like playing games. And when I sit down at like five or six o'clock, you know, the, the witching hours, I'm yeah. playing board games with my kid. And I'm so competitive and... <laughs> So is he, and he's, he just turned six and he's at that point where we can just like obsessively play games after his homework is done until my husband comes home. And I just love it. Like literally every day we were playing a board game. That's awesome. That's a good one. And, um, and then I'm having my coffee with the, um, board game instead of a glass of wine. Um, and then I just love like going out and throwing the a baseball around or, kicking the soccer ball and, you know, just being like a kid, it brings me tons of joy. I love it. And then, um, I kind of mentioned this, that I just love going to my kids sporting events and I've kind of, it's just like a new thing that he's doing these things. And so like, I liked connecting with other parents and supporting him in that way. And like being the cheerleader on the side and just trying to model good behavior and talk about that. You don't always have to win that kind of thing. And um, just, just supporting him. Yeah. And then the other thing is just connection. Like I'm an extrovert. I need people. And if it's not like texting or using WhatsApp to messenger friends, or I try to at least see someone in person face to face and give them a hug once a week. Um, that's, it's so important for me to get out of the house cause I work from home. And I get uptight and grouchy if I, you know, don't have my people. Mm-hmm. And, and you have a, a group of women that you've connected with that you guys all met up at She Recovers, right? Yeah. So we, um, I put together a, um, a little, like a little mini weekend and we went to Austin Oh, and that's right. That's right. Sandra, that was, oh, I think the weekend that you were, I was out of town. Yeah. We went camping or, or no, my, or yeah, I yeah. can't remember, but I was out of town that weekend. I know yeah. that. Mm-hmm. And Tammy sadly had things where you didn't want to travel one more time. And so, um, I think we had like 12 women and it was amazing. And then we still text every day or every other day or it's so fun to like, like, they're just random women. I thought I, I liked, and I put them in a group. <laughs> I'm like, do you want to go hang out for a weekend? And it looked amazing. The house looked so amazing. Fun. And I, that was when I was kind of, I had a bunch of travel coming up yeah. in December. Um, 
that I, you know, in dealing with my panic attacks, I just, I couldn't add another trip on, but um, I would definitely come party with you. Well, we're doing another one in Scottsdale (laughs) in November. So, oh, let me just jot that down real quick. If anybody wants to join in, Uh send me a message. In Scottsdale in what month? November. Okay. First week of November. Sandra, let's put that on the calendar, please. Yeah. Okay. That's a good time to be here. No, and I love the house you got. That was so Oh, yeah. Beautiful. It was an Airbnb. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's so fun to do Airbnbs. Like when we went to Austin um, for Sandra's women's circle that she did with um, Sasha and Sasha Corellis and Sarah. Help me, Sarah. Sarah um, Andrews. Thank you, Andrews. I, I keep keeping ATX Sarah from Instagram. <laughs> but it was fun to like shop for the house and find the space and then have everybody meet up for, you know, non-alcoholic beverages and sweets one night and just have stories and just talk. And it's beautiful to connect online. And I love that we have found each other this way because that's how I met you, Jill. And, but then also having like the bonus of the in real, in real life, it just kind of seals the deal. And it well, the best part of that weekend was that we woke up and had coffee and hung out in the mornings before we went and did like an activity and that's where people are real and there's no makeup on and you're just like sharing yeah. what's really happening, not what's on the little screens on your phone. Totally. And you don't get that when you're in a hotel. Like you get that when you're in a house and you're all like making food together. And you're right. You're yeah. right. There is something different about it's that. Intimate. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Although me and Sandra, myself, Sandra and Natalie, we sure can laugh till we pee our pants literally in a hotel room. Like, right. I, yeah. That's been established a few times. Like, okay, we're going to sleep now. <laughs> then we keep going talking. to sleep. Don't, no, nothing. Zip, zip it. <laughs> Poor Sandra. She was in bed with me. And was, we, me and Natalie just kept talking. Because it feels like we're little kids again. Like sobriety just has brought about this whole, like you were just saying about playing with your son, Jill. It's like this, we get another chance at being, it feels like high school a little bit, but in like the best possible way that high school could feel or middle school, you know, like it feels like texting, connecting, inside jokes, just having fun. And that's what I love about sobriety. Like my favorite thing is to just, this sounds kind of silly, but like if someone's having a bad day, is like make them laugh send them a little inspiration meme or something. I just, I think who was at my Angelo said be a rainbow in someone's cloud, mm. cloudy day or something. I'm like, that's just what brings me joy. Yeah. Just making other people feel good. And, and that's what we do on our texts and. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's like we have another chance at, um, and, and like you said, connection. Yeah. It's like this beautiful way that we get to connect now. Whereas before, I thought I was connecting. I thought having people over for Rose Wednesday was connecting. I thought my book club, drinking at my book club was connecting. Um, I was trying real hard to make the connections and I it just, I couldn't quite get it right. And I feel like in sobriety, I get the chance to get it right for me. Well, I had a lot of shallow connections, I realized. Right, exactly. Yeah, same. Well, Jill, how can people find you to work with you? Um, where, what's, where can they connect with you at? I'm at Forward Street on Instagram. I'm on Facebook under Jill Henning. And I'm in the a lot of different sobriety secret groups. You can find me in there. Mm-hmm. And then my business is Forward ST Marketing. Forward ST, like street, mm-hmm. abbreviated. 
And that's me. That's you. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for talking about all manner of things. And I look forward to seeing you, um, hopefully in the very near future. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. Thanks, ladies. I can't wait to hang out with you again, Jill. And I mean, we have to, somehow we have to dance next time. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not trying to impose dancing into your uh, meetup. At, <laughs> yeah, you are. In Arizona <laughs> later this year, but if I come. Sandra's going to have like a big um, boom box on her shoulder. I'm going like, it's it's right. <laughs> to bring a mixtape. Okay, good. <laughs> Created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening. <laughs>